Hello, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while, but um, I wanted to connect back with a previous guest and uh, do some exploration. And so I have reached out to Richmond Heath. Richmond, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Bryn. Great to be back in touch with you. Yeah. Uh, So those who may or may not remember, uh, Richmond and I spoke before it was episode 103 so it's a couple of years it's pre-covid days pre-covid days and richmond is the godfather of tremoring here in western in australia in total and that's a pretty fair assumption isn't it oh it's a big it's a big title to live up to the godfather godfather yeah yeah, it puts quite a spiritual you know dimension to it as well which is quite nice actually So I guess just for those who um, may have not encountered TRE, trauma release, exercise, tremoring, um, and and this will take a flavour of the conversation today is I'll have a crack at explaining it. Right. Um, Because Richmond's had a go at it before, but um, part of today is exploring my experience with tremoring over the past three years. And so the way I like to describe it to people is um there's a couple of ways is one is um technically is voluntarily bringing on involuntary tremors into your body um which is technically correct but the best way i like to describe it is it's allowing the body to flush out the the tension and the stress that we have picked up and carry over years and years of doing life and so i often point towards um dogs who um, most people have had an experience where a dog has been startled and you look around and they're still shaking and, and or, or it looks like shivering, but it's, and, and what they're actively doing is releasing the fight and flight response from their body and softening their muscles and their fascia and their tendons and all of that. And, and I point out that we as humans work in exactly the same way, but we seldom create the space or, or have the tools um to do that and so what tremoring is about is is allowing the body to release that um and i think the most important part in that is allowing the body it's not necessarily for me the mind say doing a thing it's allowing the body and i think well i want to come into that a bit later so is that a fair is that a fair description Oh, I think that's a brilliant description, Bryn. You should be teaching it, not just doing podcasts about it. Well, maybe we'll have a chat about that later. Yeah, no, look, um, I, I do. I think it's a great, a great description, and you picked up on some really good things, which is in TRE we use the term follow the body, hmm. which means that, um, you know, what we're looking to do is to let the body guide the process because our human organism has got, you know, millions of years of evolution in terms of innate knowledge in how to recover from trauma, release stress, optimize its well-being, you know, create better movement patterns, all the all the different things. So it's exactly what you're saying. Our job is kind of to get out of the way and let the body uh, you know, lead just give it space to actually recover because we're kind of inhibited in our culture. Like you say, with animal, you know, animals don't think oh, is this a symptom of shock or anxiety or PTSD? They just tremor. And the same with little kids you know, they let themselves tremor, but I'd also add, you know, they let themselves laugh and cry and move and express fully. So probably the only addition I would have is it's not always about shaking and tremoring. 
Mm. Um, it can be any sort of spontaneous movement that happens. You know, someone cries, their face curls down, mm. tears come out, or sometimes people lie on the ground and they're doing tearing and they're just getting gurgling in their digestive system. You know, they're just like, oh, wow, they might do a few farts, they might burp. So it's just giving the body that space to do whatever it needs to do to sort of unwind itself, but also to, to reorganise itself to a, a sort of more happy, healthy, balanced state. Mm, mm, mm. And what I wanted to do today was, is if people want to know um, your background and your story of how you got into tremoring, they can easily go back to episode 103 and listen to that. Um, and there's some great stuff in there. I particularly love uh, the part in your story about when you went on the Vipassana retreat and you, you know, you're supposed to be sitting there being quiet and then all of a sudden your body's doing this movement and you're doing handstands and you can't help it and all, all of that stuff. And um yeah, it's really cool to listen to. But um, what I thought would be good today is actually we explored my experience. I've been tremoring now for three years. Um, yeah, it's just coming up to three years since I was first um, introduced to it. And I, one of the ways I describe it now is it's in my quiver of secret weapons for doing life. This is one of the the go-to arrows of secret weapons that I have in the quiver. And, and I, and that might sound like a big statement, but um, yeah, for me, it, it, it really has it at some levels, it's been um, a cheat to doing life. I, I say that it's often when I compare myself to others and what's going on around and my capacity to be present and be in it, um yeah but the journey has been not straightforward and sometimes there's a lot of language that's missing around it um and there's not that many people to be able to talk to about it because after a period of time as i'll explain it for me it starts off at quite a gross level and then becomes subtle to very subtle to super fine some of the experiencing that i have now started to become aware of and so um part of what i wanted to do was talk through this with you richmond who obviously have a wealth of experience of this for a for me to try and make sense of some of my journey but then also in doing that and recording this is, is A, be an invitation to anybody who's not done tremoring before to come into it and be anybody who has done for a period of time to actually make sense of the journey that they're embarking upon. Yeah, I love the I love the analogy. It's like a golden arrow, you know, um, the, the go-to. And I totally relate, Bryn. Like for me, up until I learnt TRE or came into the contact with spontaneous tremoring through the passion was my original experience and then TRE gave me a framework and a model to make sense of it. But up until that point, I didn't really have any way of releasing tension and pent-up you know, energy in myself apart from um, they were all unhealthy ways, you know, so yeah. compulsive eating or drinking or whatever, or um, I also have a history of like body-focused BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviours where I pick skin or, you know, yeah. pick little pics and that sort of thing. And then the only other one, I can't remember we mentioned this in the other episode, was around, you know, sex or orgasm mm -hmm. or ejaculation was the only thing I could do that was sort of a little bit physically healthier, but, you know, very draining and, and exhausting. So finding that my body had a way that it could release tension and relax 
um, beyond how I could do it consciously, that was like, you know, it was like opening the door of the jail cell in a way. All of a sudden there was this relief. That was the biggest thing for me. It was about relief. I was like, oh, my God, I found a way of finding some relief. That was the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then what I love about what you're framing is a lot of us come to TRE or any sort of modality looking for relief or treatment or a fix or a solution or we just want to feel calm. And we often experience that because immediately when you, your nervous system starts to balance, you go back towards homeostasis, you just feel calm and relaxed sort of instantly. But what you're talking about, what's really fascinating, and this is what drives me a lot around it, is then we start to recognise that it's not just a tool to make ourselves feel calmer, but it's actually a process of healing, reorganisation and growth. And what I like to term is like neurophysiological growth. Our nervous system is actually maturing and becoming more efficient and organised. And yeah. so that's where this journey, it's not a linear journey. It's not just like a restorative model, like our medical model says, I've got a pain, give me something or do something so I can keep being the same person, but without that pain. Yeah. And so what the tremoring does is it starts to take us into our authentic self. And a lot of us think, oh, well, authentic self, that means, you know, me when I'm perfectly calm and relaxed and on flow. And I go, yeah, well, that's kind of a theoretical authentic self. But before that, there's the authentic self, which for me is like highly frustrated or nervous or anxious or overwhelmed or immobilized or rigid. And we all want to go from who we are now to who we'd like to be. And we often struggle to go, hang on, in order to heal, we need to be embodied, make that connection, and we need to become authentic in our wounds and our reactivity yeah. and our suffering and our all of that stuff in order to then move through that. And, you know, that becomes like the transform that or to, you know, that becomes the goal that we have to move through. So some people do TRE or they don't do TRE, they avoid TRE or they forget TRE partly because your body is determining where you're led on this journey. Whereas most of the other stuff we do in the world, we consciously choose from our ego or our will. will. And so, of course, we only ever yeah. choose what we like and what feels good. Um, yes. largely. So this is where the body oh, leads and then all of a sudden... Cognitive framework. <laughs> yeah, so all of a sudden, you know, we're going, wow, my body wants to go here because our organism, like all organisms, have a biological imperative to optimise themselves and their well-being. But often our ego or our mind says, but I don't want to go there because it's uncomfortable. That's why it's all been in the body. So I'm really excited to be talking about this with you. And yeah, yeah and fascinated to hear for you, like three years is a long three years is a, a long period of tremoring and you're getting this, you know, you're getting this experience. So it's great to hear what you're experiencing and how you're making sense of it. Cause I can, you know, I can put a neuroscientific bent on it or I can give you my perspective, but ultimately, and this is, you know, one of the real gifts about TRE is it's kind of got a level of neutrality is we use science to explain what we're doing and it's a trauma recovery, blah, blah. But ultimately in the day, every human on the planet has got this mechanism inside them. So it doesn't matter what your religion or your culture or your belief system. Ultimately, it's about you know, how, do, how does the person make sense of it and integrate it into their own you know, belief system? So it makes sense and they can, they can go, right, this is, some, this is a journey worth going on. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's probably worth um, placing me at the start of the journey. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... The way I was introduced to tremoring was out of the blue. A lovely lady called Fran Fuller, who's an instructor here in Western Australia, um, had seen what I've been doing with the podcast and just wanted to invite me along to a set, to a, a four week four week um, training session. 
And to start with, um, well, the first thing that hooked me was as soon as somebody says, do you want to come on a learning journey? I'm in always because um, I'm that type of guy. But <clears throat> when she started to explain it to me, um, I think there was something even at that cognitive level that hooked me that suddenly went, hang on a minute. Yeah, nervous system, downregulate at all. Yes, I'm up for this. Um, but um, if we just come out of that at this point, I was thinking about this um, before we had this conversation. Of, so where was I actually at at that point in time? And there's possibly two ways of looking at that. Where did I think I was? Mm. And where do I see that I was now that I'm here three years well, on? Well, now that you're looking back, isn't that yeah. that is so significant? Yep. And, and, and I thought it was a, yeah, it was a really significant point because at the time I was um, probably a, pro- a product of our, of our society, you know, our Western industrialized, educated, rational society. Was it weird? Um, an acronym, um, can't remember the D. And, and so I was very much in my head. You know, I'm a smart guy. I have university degrees. I can read, I read books. I can, I can hold cognitive models in my head. I was doing a podcast. I was talking to great people. Um, so I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. Um, from a, yeah, I, I, I thought I got a handle on life. I understood what life was about. I think already at that point, um, interestingly, um, at that point, I already understood that that my body needed some thing because I played rugby and then I'd moved from rugby into endurance sports in the UK doing triathlons and then I'd come to Western Australia and I'd, and I'd had multiple swims to Rottnest in teams and duos and then I went and swam a solo six years ago and then did another duo with my fiance. and by the end of that, my body was just, I, I was, I'd swum myself bored with swimming but it was deeper than that um my body wasn't quite doing I, I couldn't get it to do the things that had made me feel really great before you know i'd achieved these awesome things and you know played great rugby gone further than i ever could like cycling or running or, or things like this and done these impressive things and taken myself on a journey but the body was just like there was a sense inside of it it's like fucking time out Brent. like we need we need something else and so already my uh, exercise and my just sort of vitality was starting to just come oh. down and there was not a lot I could do about it. There was not a lot I could do about it. I think at that point I had found the modus movement gym here in, um, in, 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 in just in Myrie. Uh, we started to open me up to new ways of looking at my body and patterns of movement and things like that. So <clears throat> there was the start of something. But at the point when Fran rang me, um, I was aware of meditation, right? Um, at the end of most movement student, movement classes, we do stillness, right? And um, But it was, it was all still very contained within frameworks. Um, that I was cognitively aware of. Um, if I look back now to where I was, man, I was carrying a fucked up of anxiety and I didn't know. <laughs> I, I was carrying so much anxiety. I was uh, very hypervigilant. 
Yeah. Um, I pride, I didn't, one of the things I've begun to realize is, is that that hypervigilance was actually um, helping me to be very dependable and reliable at work. Yeah. Uh, which was then being remunerated um, accordingly. Yeah. Um, and so some of the outside um, indicators were giving me feedback um, on things that weren't necessarily healthy, but were being rewarded as such yeah. by the workplace. You know, I was very fastidious. I'd always make sure, you know, things were on time and this, that, the other, da, 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 da. But yeah. there would be an extra level of hypervigilance to it. Yeah. And, you know, th there were several other things that were all, um, there in the background. I mean, I'd had, uh, I was halfway through a very long journey through the family court of Western Australia, um, which, um, yeah, is, is just an atrocious journey to go through. And I can understand why people end up doing some very strange and wonky things. Um, I, don't I don't condone it, um, but um, I can understand how people get to the point of doing some very strange and wonky things. And we've, we've had recently with um, double murder suicide of, of a chap who killed his kids. When you peel it back further, you see that he was in the family court system for a couple of years. And, and trying to rectify that. I think um, I was rebuilding my, I was dealing with um, my own codependency and my previous relationship that led me into the family court system was very much with, with that sort of domineering cluster B personality trait, which I'd attracted into my life through my own codependency. And like yourself, I've got 11 years experience of an English boys boarding school, which trains you up for all sorts of things. And, 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 you know, um, there was a lot of, obviously there's a lot of trauma around that. And I'll probably come back to that, um, particularly the boarding school um, later on. So the, the, there were those bigger things. And just at that point in time, I, I couldn't see the wood for the trees. I thought yep. cognitively everything was fine, yep. but the anxiety levels were just enormous. You know, it's like carrying the backache and stuff that you don't realise because it's just feather by feather by feather by feather. That, that, that's right. And so that, I mean, when you say all those things, bring you know, the, the, there's a few things that that stick out. And the big one is we say, we have that saying, I'm carrying this anxiety or I'm carrying this trauma. And the question is, how do we carry it? Is it yeah. just thoughts? Is it just behaviours? No, carry it. We literally carry it in the physiology of our body. And that's why, you know, all the sort of trauma, groundbreaking trauma books of the last few years are all about the body. You know, the body keeps the score, the body bears the burden, yeah. um, you know, the body remembers. So, you know, that's one element. And then what I loved about what you said is going, at the time, I thought I was going okay. And in a way you were. It's like yeah. I've got a, a good friend, a mentor, Andrew Cram, and he sort of says, you know, like, it's like you build a house and you've built it a certain way and it works, you know, it functions. It might not be the most optimal or that, but it's working. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, well, if I want to build a double story mm -hmm. house that's bigger and better, I might have to rip stuff down and redo the foundations because I need to get a stronger foundation in order to hold another, you know, another, another, um, another, a better model or a, a bigger mm -hmm. and better model. So what, what I love about what you're saying there is it's not until you look back. And you can go, now that I look back, I can realise that actually I wasn't doing okay mm. because 
the parts that were not okay were in my body below the level of my conscious awareness. I mean, yes. all of us sitting here, we've all got tension and bracing in our bodies right here, right now, no matter how good we feel that we're not yet aware of. Mm. And so, again, this is um, to make it a practical a practical level, What I one of the things that really has, has developed strongly for me in the last three years doing TRE is, you know, we get people to tremor, they start tremoring, and then I'll say to them, okay, notice is there anywhere in your body that is bracing and holding and resisting against the tremors and letting go now some people go yeah i can feel it my breath's holding my shoulders are holding so i say great if that's holding that's your body letting you know that this is too intense literally it means in tension there's tension here yeah my legs are flapping around and that's releasing but part of me is not releasing so you say great you know stop and slide your legs out have a break then you've got other people who go, no, I don't notice anywhere that my body's tense or bracing. And anyone who's experienced it looking at the body will go, well, you can see where it's holding here. And so we say, great, stop and take a little break, take a time out, stop the tremors. And now that you've stopped, notice if anything lets go and relaxes. Hmm. So what often happens for those people is they take a big breath in or their body takes a breath. They're not doing it consciously. Their body takes a breath and their chest relaxes or their arms relax or their shoulder and they go, can you feel that relief? And they're like, oh, yeah, I felt that soften then. You say, that's right. So what that was showing us, and again, this is the metaphor of in the body's like a little microcosm for life, is it's only often until we relax and find relief in the body and we experience that, that then we can say, okay, if that part of your body relaxed while you were tremoring, that meant while you were tremoring before, it was holding, but you weren't yet aware of it. Yeah. So people start to, on a practical level, go, okay, I get this concept. I often don't realise how tense I am until I get a moment of relief and then that helps me recognise that before I didn't know because, and this is the, the magic, is when it comes to stress and trauma, you know, it's our body that withdraws awareness from our conscious mind. It's not the other way around. It's not because we go, I'm going to consciously ignore my shoulder or my lower back or my vertebrae yeah. eight to seven, seven, you know, seven, eight, nine or whatever. It's not a cognitive process. You know, when trauma happens, it's an evolutionary process in the nervous system to keep it really simple. It's more complex and, and better and broader than that. But that's one of the things. So in terms of our embodiment and how connected we are to our body, that is in a large part determined by our body in terms of when it's allowing us to become back aware of these parts of the frozen, contained, unresolved, because they were too too overwhelming for our psyche or our, our yeah. ego to integrate them and, and engage with them at the time. So, you know, I, yeah, so I was saying, I'm loving this analogy. You're saying it's not until I look back that I realise where I, where I was because I wasn't aware of what was happening in my body. The beauty of that then, of course, is to continually open to ourselves to say, so right now I feel heaps better than I was. Yes. But I know that in my body, below the level of what, you know, my cognition's only aware of, I don't know, you know, 1% of my subconscious physiology that my body is aware of it in itself, and then there's a the bigger picture. So it's a continual calling back to just let's keep diving into the body, which is really no more than saying the opposite in a way. is like let's just give the body time and space because 99% of our life we're doing it with our cognition and our ego and our will, and that's all, that's all great. So we're just saying let's try and get some balance and get out of the way and let the body unwind itself but also show us where we need to go in order to grow hmm. Hmm. absolutely and i think 
it's that recognition of that point that if that's where I was then and I can now see it with greater clarity, then there's a brain in 12, 24 months' time yeah. where I am now with more clarity than I can right now. Yes, and that and, and that for me is one of the most exciting things because for me with Terry, people come, they go, oh, I just want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of that. I want to get rid of the past. Now, when it was originally called Terry for trauma release exercises, that's where David Baselli was working in trauma zones, you know, war zones and natural disasters. So people were going, I'm trying to recover from this immediate recent incident. So that's great. We want to, yeah. we want to let go of the past. But at the same time, to keep it in balance, there's excitement about, hang on, so it's not just about letting go of the past. It's about growing into the future because yeah. what a lot of people don't know is that when we are in utero, so when we're babies in utero, the way that our nervous system and eventually our cognition and our brain, the way that it integrates the body and the brain is through spontaneous shaking and tremoring in utero. Hmm. Now, that's got nothing to do with letting go of the past. That's a process of the, or, the nervous system and the organism organising itself, deepening its connections to itself so that it can become more organisationally you know, efficient hmm. and evolved. So... The magic for me is when people don't just go, oh, I know how Terry has helped me let go of the past. But like you're saying, you're going, hang on, this process is helping me move into the future. Yes. And once there's a sense of going, okay, this is helping me grow and evolve and become more of who I am, even though it might be a difficult journey at times. Yeah. Once you know that's the direction that it's taking you, then it's inevitable that you just keep going to keep using it. And it's inevitable that you can't do anything else apart from to heal and grow and mature again through, not around, not over, not avoiding, yeah, through. but through the physiology of the body. So at the end of the day, our physiology becomes more grounded, more centered, more relaxed. And on that journey, we often become more aware of how ungrounded, unrelaxed. And it's, it's like yin and yang. We're always, parts of us are more safe, parts of us are more unsafe, parts of us are more grounded, parts are still yet to be grounded. And it's the body that's leading that journey yes. um, and we come along with it. Now, everything we do, our other you know, cognitive te techniques, mindfulness, talk therapy, psychotherapy, exercise, those are all wonderful parts of the journey. And yet there's this bottom-up element that when we let the body lead it, it's got an innate biological imperative to evolve and become more efficient, to become less tense, to become you know, the optimum, yeah. get into the optimum state it can. So anyway, I'm, I'm ranting a bit, but what Wait. I'm trying to say is the thing that excites me, right, Bryn, and what I love talking to you about is when people get the direction this is taking us, yes. not just what was the effect, I got rid of something I didn't want, but going, this is a process which is helping me mature, grow and evolve, which means it's a process helping you to grow and evolve, which means if more people are using it, and letting their body, to, it's a process of allowing our bodies to help us all grow, mature, yeah. heal and evolve. And that becomes an incredibly inspiring and exciting uh, concept when you realise that this is happening on a global level. 100%. And it's, and it's spreading in the same way that as your individual body, the more you let it organise itself or tremor, you see that it's getting more efficient, more relaxed, more organised, more connected. On a global level, the same thing is happening as, you know, humans uh, through, through TRE and other, other spontaneous movement practices. But there is a, again, it's like a tremor in the, in the human culture 
whereas this spreads organically bottom up from the grassroots as a collective, it's also helping us to you know, mature and evolve. Um, and all I do want to say here really clearly is from a Western perspective, because there are a lot of Indigenous cultures that, you know, from a Western perspective say, oh, they haven't got the same development and that. But actually in terms of maturing human beings and growing and evolving yes. the maturity and physiological maturity, they're often miles and miles ahead. So oh, yeah. I'm talking from, you know, my own sort of Western white um, male perspective, there's a huge, you know, again, this is, the, this is what really inspires me is about not so much about how it benefits me, although that's important, but the potential for, well, not even the potential, the direction that mm. this tremoring process, whether invoked through TRE or Seiki Jutsu or Katsujinundo or shaking medicine or bioenergetics, it's an organic arising out of our bodies, which yes. is helping to grow and evolve. It's, it's, it's incredibly profound to get a sense of that direction, like you're saying. So, you know, it's like you can see that I am becoming a better bring in the future and it's just going to keep going. So let's get on board and, and make mm. that as good as possible. Mm. So some of the some of the immediate experiences that I had right in that four week course were actual experiences of a lot of what you've just mentioned. The very first, the very first uh, uh, week that we went to, and um, my fiance Lucy came with me as well. Um, I was just starting to tremor in the hips, and then all of a sudden, there was just something went and left me. The most interesting thing about that was I, I, I was like, whoa, some, something's just gone on and I can't, and I got this real startled look out of my face. But not only did that occur, but Lucy was looking at me and she just went, I just felt you. And she was like metre and a half away and she was just like, I, I just felt you. And then when we got in the car afterwards, um, we both looked at each other and just floods of tears for no reason that we could explain. And then afterwards, the two of us were like, this is awesome, isn't it? Like, you know, there were no words. There was no point in any words at that point. Um, and, that, and that's one of the things I try to explain to people who are interested in it is there's no point in any words because you have to just go experience it. So at that point, uh, to be honest, Richard, I, I was uh, something was definitely there. I was I had I was experientially hooked, and and I was like, right, I'm giving this a crack. The second thing that happened was, and I think it was in the third or the fourth um, um, of the uh, week that um, I left one of the um, I left one of the uh, uh, the, the courses. The, the the training sessions and I felt really like, <laughs> like yeah just a bit weird just a bit yeah. lower energy than when I'd gone in yeah and it was really freaky and and so I had to ring Fran up and it'd say you know oh, it was awesome week one you know I got this massive release from crying in the car and this uh, this week I'm like oh, what's the show and and one of the things she explained to me was it was there were many people that were in the in that course um i turned up with um some very heavy and present trauma um much of which you know we're not talking about because we don't have to talk about so we don't have to re-traumatize ourselves um and in 
and in in the process of us being in a room and and begins tremor and release, there were some who were possibly, I don't know, um, how do I describe? I, I don't want to say like high vibration or any wanky shit like that, but it was like, so, so, you know, sound of like bloody South Fremantle or spiritual. Um, but there were some of us who were sort of uh, in a lighter place in our, yeah. in our, yep. our, 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 yeah, your body's earth. moving easier. Yep. Yeah. And, and there were those that weren't. And so there was almost like this, this business, which is pretty, which at the start with, I, I felt as me coming down, but yeah. Fran had explained to me that a lot of other people had left it and gone, oh, I felt brilliant like that. So yeah. it was this leveling out. So I got this real experiential um, experience of not just with one-on-one Lucy feeling yeah. my release, but then me feeling the whole group. Yeah, the- And that was hugely profound because although I didn't enjoy that experience, yeah. that was actually going to be um, the doorway into quite a lot of stuff that was about to happen. Yeah. It then made me start to think, well, I, you know, without seeming egotistical, if I've been here and these people have been there and we've done this, this is, is yeah, okay, I've come down a little bit, but collectively we're all net positive. Mm for some of the work that I've been doing already. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And, and that got me thinking about how groups are, are, are communicating with one another beyond just yep. talking and from nervous system point of view. Uh, totally. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we sort of go, oh, is it all woo-woo and it's all energetic and all that sort of stuff. But if you look at the neuroscience of collective flow states where, you know, yeah. how do how do organisms resonate together, um, you know, that's exactly, you're having an experience of going, oh, okay, I can empathise and connect and resonate with a group of people. Um, and anyone who's ever played a team sport or, you know, jazz musicians, they get in the groove or, you know, in the pocket or you're in the zone. And you can have that experience on your own, but when you have it in a group, it's a bit like singing in a group. You know, if you sing on your own, it sounds great. You sing in a choir, all of a sudden you can create resonance and harmonies that you can't create singularly. Yes. And so um, just yesterday, Bryn, like, it, I did a session with some elite um, volleyballers at a centre of excellence in Melbourne that I've been working with uh, on and off in their program for five years. And this was amazing. So we were... On a, we couldn't get a room to do the session in, so we were on the we were on a on the volleyball court or a basketball court, and next door was a, an elite female basketball team who were training. Now in a in a um, setting like that, you know, you've got all the squeaks of the bloody runners on the thing. It's high pitch. You've got people squealing and shouting. Like it is a pretty intensive environment. So we did this session with these guys as about, I don't know, 18 or something. And some of them had done it last year with me and they were using the tremoring and a lot of them were new and they were having amazing releases and, you know, oh, my body feels a bit more relaxed. I'm a bit more relaxed. But the thing that stands out for me is when they all got back up or even when they were tremoring, I kept saying to the, one of the other the coaches and that I'm saying, are you noticing how peaceful and calm all these people are and this this court is there's a massive crazy game going on just just, just, 10 meters away and they're all chilled out and relaxed Mm. and then at the end they got up and they were standing around and and all i could describe it was like the you know again it's i don't want to sound woo the energy in the room but it was like there was just this softness and this peacefulness 
And they're all standing there. And the coach afterwards, I said, you know, did you notice that? That's this group flow where people start to resonate. We come out of our defences. We're more open and connected. Mm. And he said, oh, yeah, that was amazing. He said, those guys can't normally stand there and concentrate like that. I knew something, you know, I knew what was happening because yeah. normally they'd be fidgeting or they could, they'd be distracted. And so then from that place, and, and I'm going back in a couple of weeks and I can't wait because I said, well, next time what we're going to do because they're going to play a scratch match and they'll divide into two half teams. I'm saying we're going to get the two teams to tremor separately at either ends of the court so that they have an experience of, right, now when you get up off the floor, can you feel how more open and, and calm and engaged? And it's not a conscious yeah. process. It's not saying I'm paying more cognitive attention, I'm being more mindful of my teammates. It's that our nervous systems, again, for want of a better word, our organisms, our bodies, start to sense on that subconscious level and people yes. can feel that collective flow. Mm. Um, and again, for people working in teams, whether it's at work or schools, you know, if you can get teachers in the schools tremoring together and students, you know, there becomes this collective, you know, collective energy. There's just so much great potential. And of course it has mm. much bigger impacts than just thinking, oh, okay, this is good for me. I'm an individual. Again, that very Western individualistic, I'm, I want to feel good. This is good. Yeah, well, if the group helps me, great. But it helps us to, to get that sense that we often miss in the West that, hang on, we are part of a bigger community and how we show up in that community has an impact on others. The same mm. But together, when we're moving into, you know, healing and working and connecting together, we can achieve more and be happier and healthier. And again, same as in the physical body, we can be more efficient and effective and healed and mature and evolved as a community or as a corporation or as a culture or as in, you know, as a global human culture where we're gradually learning how do we all get along in the same way that, you know, my liver's got to work out how it relates to my lungs and my lungs got to relate to how it relates to my left ear and, you know, as our organism grows in utero, it's forming these connections and relationships that become more healthy and functional. And again, so on a, you know, a global level, there's the, the group flow where you're saying, hey, I'm feeling that individual group in that room. And again, you know, if we keep sort of taking it out on a fractal level, that is, you know, what I'm so excited about and so passionate about and dedicated to on a global level because I see the exact same process happening as more people are allowing this impulse to arise and more organisations and more countries that in the same way that our body has the same pattern of trying to optimise its well-being, you know, the human culture has that as well at a, a yeah. sort of organismic level as long as we surrender and allow ourselves to get into it. Now, again, a lot of traditional cultures would be sitting there going, duh, of course, this is what we've been trying to tell you for 20 years uh, or 200 years, I should say. Um, and so... But, you know, but again, there's this, this sort of expanding concentric circles of going, yeah, great. And now we're a global culture. How do we actually integrate? So, you know, again, this is a, it's such a, it's just an amazing impulse for individual well-being, but also for, you know, collective harmony and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, connect harmony and joy, you know, like not just going, yeah, we're getting along, we're not <clears throat> fighting, but actually, wow, we're feeling more alive. So I'm kind of, I'm interested in, when you had that moment with Lucy where you're like, oh, something's changed, something's left, I'm more there, you know, what does that what does that mean for you, your life, your partner, your relationship? Like what does having what does that mean for you? Yeah, I mean it, it was pretty profound and pretty it was, it was really quite intimate as well. Um I guess 
um, at, at that point in time. It, and this is the thing, you know, on one level, um, you know, here we are, two of us talking about all this, um, but it is actually getting in and practicing and doing and experiencing. And that, that means you, you then build this experiential knowledge, which, you know, I don't, you could try and write it in a book and read it, but that doesn't mean that you've done it. Yeah, um, that means you understand it again. You understand it cognitively. You you've know got a to make sense with it. But yeah, I mean, quite quickly after the course, I well, I like I said, I was experientially hooked. Um, not long after the end of the class, after the end of the four week course, I um, I actually sat down one day very quietly and made a deal with my body, and I just basically said, right, whatever you need to do, we're going to do. And I recognize now that you need to do what you need to do. And so we're going to go on this journey. And that was quite a roller coaster of a, a decision to, well, uh, acknowledgement or whatever to deal to make with my body. Because over the next, you know, three to four to five to six weeks, I, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just would be doing stuff. And it was almost like my body would be saying to me, well, you said this is what we're going to do. So this is what we're going to do. And so it was really quite intense. But one of the things I started to notice quite quickly was, was two things. One was that when I was getting um, like jacked up from a particular experience, um, you know, like when you have a confrontation or something like that, and it winds you up or something like that, I had a tool that I could immediately go to to try and downregulate. So it's in the moment, really good. Yeah, fine. But then there was also this progressive work of, of doing it even when you haven't just encountered an experience um, that's jacked you up. And, and the way I was looking at it was you, I was downregulating the sort of default level that my nervous system was operating at. And it was coming down a little bit by a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. And, and that wasn't happening overnight but it was certainly a little bit by a little bit. And then all of a sudden I could feel my way into, um, particularly in the workplace, um, why people were making certain decisions. Um, and the best way to explain this is, you know, I can, I can give you the example of little child goes up the climbing frame to you know and and goes that bit higher that then triggers the mother's nervous system so what does the mother do tells the child to come down now if we look at the dynamics of that interaction what she's actually done is she's forced other people and the outside world to change to assuage her nervous system rather than her have a chat with herself and be in her nervous system and do something to down regulate that so at that point in time her nerve what what came across to me was her nervous system had had then taken over her decision making process so she was now making a decision to down regulate her own nervous system by controlling the outside environment right you now take that the dynamics of those things that i've just felt i explained but i was beginning to feel yeah I'm in the workplace and people are asking me to do certain things. And I'm sitting there, can you explain why? And he goes, well, we need to mitigate that risk. And I'm like, well, 
No, because I could feel that when you when I was being told we need to mitigate that risk, it's what we're actually saying is we need to feel less anxious and feel a whole lot better about this. So we need you, Brian, yeah. to go and do this certain action. Yeah. Now, that, if I'm going to be blunt, is not a good deployment of time, money, and resources um, to get people to do stuff because people in a slightly more leadership role um, can't handle their nervous system um, uh, or, or the, the level that it's firing up. And, and so they're being captured by their nervous system and they're not still in a place that's open to possibility and probability and, and allowing solutions to emerge. And I started to feel my way into this while I was at work. And it, it actually made me quite unpopular because I refused to do a number of things. And uh, I was in danger of getting myself sacked at one point. Um, but it was like, well, if I just go and do this, then I'm, I'm feeding the fire of this behavior, which is you need to move the blocks around in the outside world to make you feel better inside. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it was so difficult because I could feel it. I was, could just about articulate it, but I wasn't in a place where I could properly hold my ground articulate and, and and what have you but i knew that i had to go with this experience so yeah. that got me in a bit of trouble where i'm saying to people i'm just not going to do that yeah why because you're not you know it's not a good t- it's not a good deployment of time money and resources yeah. why do you say that because so, we're just mitigating you know but i couldn't properly and and if i tried to go into explaining that well that's because your nervous system's jacked up and stuff like that they're going to look at me and go you're being a fucking weirdo now yeah. so so it really wasn't once i embarked on the journey it, it was actually quite difficult to start with yeah. because now all of a sudden i'm not just feeling me i'm feeling other people yeah. where decisions are coming from where demands upon me are, are coming from yeah. and, and and that was really quite taxing because at the same time I was going deeper and deeper and deeper into myself. And at the same time, I was having experiences where I, I, could, I could tremor. And it was still quite a gross level of movement. Um, I could tremor and lie on the carpet in the front room here. And I'd tremor for like 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, there would be this calmness. And there would just be this beautiful, serene calmness, which... I don't know, the, the closest thing you can explain to is, you know, that post-coital, oh, you know. And, and I was just lying there and, and like nothing was going on in the body. It was just calm. And then outside, I would hear something like a, like a, like a door close or, or something like that. And I could feel what I refer to as micro traumas of just sound of life, yeah. right? And, and, and I could feel that. I was like, oh, my God, this, this shit's going on all the time in my body. These little micro traumas of just being in life, you know, sound and vibration and, and cars and driving and things of these nature are causing me these what, what felt like micro traumas at the time. So once I'd got to that sort of, more subtle level and i'm feeling these things coming in that that perception was quite taxing let alone having to deal with the 
outside world that I was then beginning to feel. And it meant, meant that for a period of time, I just went, I was like, I need to retreat away from all of this. But at the same, at the same time, there was never a point where I thought, I, I need to stop tremoring, I need to back off. Yeah. Because, because there was something that was still taking me into this and and i knew that it it was going somewhere yeah um i think after what what became super interesting was after a year of tremoring i just i I rang fran up and said can we have a tremor check-in please it seemed like a clever thing to do um i think i'd phoned you up once um (laughs) that was funny the first time i tremored on my front and not on my back and then the next thing i was almost like dry hump in the ground and had to phone you up and go do you you ever get like these funky hot sexy feelings while you do this (laughs) i remember you going oh you made your first stiffy like (laughs) and uh that was hilarious but then i had um a check-in with with um with fran and what we realized was i was almost coming to the i was doing these massive gross movements in my body if you saw me you'd, you'd thought i'd got you know, I was on rave drugs or something. Um, and what she started to point me towards was slightly more subtle tremoring in smaller areas of my body. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden that that was particularly interesting because now I was going into more finer parts. It was like I tremored the outside shell and now we were going into more of the finer muscles. And that, that became amazing as well. I mean, I remember not long after that driving to work one day and I had to pull over in the car. And because by this point, you know, if I feel a tremor coming on, as long as it's safe, I'll let it go. You know, there's no point pushing it away. I'd made that deal with my body a year before. Like when we need to do stuff, we're going to do stuff. Um, and uh, irrespective of where we are, you know, we can always find a place to go and tremor, whether it's a toilet or whatever. I was driving along and all of a sudden I had to pull over the car because my whole face just wanted to screw up and I couldn't actually open my eyes um, and that was followed by a jaw tremor a couple of days later and and those again felt you know afterwards I, I was left in this almost crying state because it released stuff at such a subtle level I mean you know the, the muscles around the face are really subtle but you know they're always on they're always moving and and so it was just scrunched up and yet after those again I was just floods of tears tears have been a frequent thing and I, I quite enjoy crying now and um, uncontrollably sobbing some days and yeah but it was becoming more and more and more subtle as this was happening I was starting to becoming more and more subtle in the perception of the outside world which to be honest again was taking another level of uh, um existential load it was becoming harder at times and so there were moments when like i said i just i just want to retreat from the outside world i don't want to deal with you all um you're all just too fucking taxing on me and my entity and my body uh, i feel how you know and it was at that point i can i can understand why um why people just want to retreat and go on like a four-week retreat to a Buddhist monastery where <laughs> you yeah. don't talk about anything, you don't deal with anybody. 
you, you shut the outside world out. But one of the one of the, another experience that started to happen um, was I think it was right at the start of 2020, and this is just pre-COVID. Um, my parents were over, and I was at the business end. I was getting towards the business end of um, dealing with the family court and my former partner and and stuff like that. And we also, I was supposed to go to court into court the next day, and there was going to be a bit of a showdown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so you know that that brings with it a huge level of anxiety. And uh, something I can't remember what had occurred, but something had happened. I received a letter from their lawyer, and da 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 da, and it was all wonking around and this that and the other and my mum and dad were over from England and dad was you know trying to be sportive and etc and and I was at their place and this thing had happened and then just the impact of it all hit me and you know I, I lost my shit I was I was angry I was shouty I was teary I was this that and the other and at that point that's where you know the old man wanted to give me the old you know, Winston Churchill, cometh the hour, cometh the man, come on, let's keep it together type thing. And that's where I had to go. And I remember it clearly, I just went, no, that this, I don't do compartmentalization anymore. Um, this is me. This is like, I will lose my shit right now, but my shit will come back <laughs> as soon as this has been purged and I allowed myself to feel the anxiety the anger and everything that was occurring in that moment and I knew that that's what I had to do because then I could let that go and then once that had gone and it only took half an hour or so and um, I was then back into a place where I was met, able to make proactive decisions and open up to possibility and probability and I'd noticed, particularly in the in the year before that, that more and more I was starting to become quite cleanly angry instead of this dull, munted, shitty male anger thing that we do. Because I, I used to run on the I used to run on the code that uh, men plus anger equals destruction, um, equals violence, equals um, harm and hurt for others. And um, yeah, so I used to try and avoid it, and I would be that more that sort of simmering anger. Are you angry? No, no, no. You know, and then you'd blow your lid every now and again, and then you'd feel a bit better, and you know, to say sorry to a lot of people. Um, whereas in this, I was finding leading up to this, I was finding myself just getting cleanly angry. If somebody transcended my border boundaries, if I could knew about it really quickly. Um, but at the same time, they did know about it and I would come back down again quite quickly and we could have that dialogue and people knew where they stood with me a lot more, which made life way more straightforward. Um, and for me, it was means I wasn't carrying around this continually growing, simmering load of anger that was not being dealt with. So when I had this court experience, I stood there in front of my parents and went, that I don't do compartmentalization anymore. I just leave me to feel this. And I said, and in a minute, not long, I'll be good as gold. And lo and behold, I was. And um, <laughs> my mum, bless her, looked at the old man and went, you learn a lot from Brent. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was a real 
that was a real in life's crucible. Um, all of a sudden, I started to feel something different occurring, which was I am actually in it and I am actually feeling things all the time. And in that moment, I had this incredible sense of um, existential trust in myself that it was okay to lose my shit because the essence of me wasn't going to be lost and, and that my shit, as it were, would come back to me. Can I, can I just, like, I, I just have to jump in here. What you just said was existential, existential trust. Is that a term you've heard before, you've read before? Have you just said that now? No, no, no. I talk about uh, existential trust and as a result of tremoring and, and other things as well that I've put in, but tremoring be a central thing, I feel that I can carry a greater existential load nowadays. So, because I just want to, I mean, Again, like, um, you know, you've got all these wonderful experiences and stories. But for me, when you said that, it's not a it's not a term I've heard before. It's not a concept I've heard anyone talk about. Mm. Before. I know everything about, you know, existential angst or, you know, uncertainty or whatever, you know, that deep core. It's such a such a solid anchoring thing. You know, if you were to say to people, what would it be like? If at the core of your being you had existential, I can't say the word, but, you know, existential trust, trust <laughs> rather than living in a permanent state of existential fear and anxiety or anger or overwhelm, like yeah. that. And so, again, for me, you know, I hear your journey. It's like we get these glimpses or these brief experiences of what does it feel like when I'm really just in the moment, you know, I'm not trying to. I'm not reacting to the past that's playing out through my body, even though it's not happening now. It's I'm not so focused on trying to get to the future. So it's better than where it's the magic's in the moment. Mm. And so again, so for me, the, the, I'll just, I'll, if I can share my experience, um, for sure. my, my model of that, um, I've actually got a, I did a drawing and a, and a poem um, so I remember doing a tremor with just doing with David Berselli, one of the times when he'd come out and for years, he'd be trying to work on me to get my body to loosen up and get, you know, cause I tend to have a very rigid body and very held, um, when my mind's in the way, when I did the passion, I took my mind out, my body was infinitely, extremely extraordinary. But anyway, so my whole organism, he'd spent years trying to jump on me and push and prod and, at the end, I remember one day he's half laughing. He said, "You just need to smoke some dope because I can't do anything that make your body, well, you know, relax." And it was more about my, my mind and that presence. But I remember one time he was—I think I was lying maybe on my chest—and he was pushing on my back, and he was trying to get my back to soften. And he started pushing on my back, and I was like, "No, David, David, that's too hard. I can feel my chest bracing against your pushing in." And I, and I even remember saying, I said, David, you could drive a car over that chest. It's, I can feel it's not going to let go. You're not going to be able to push it down. I said, just make your hand a bit lighter. And so he took a bit of pressure off and I was like, oh, I felt myself soften. I said, no, no, take less pressure. So he ended up just having his hand resting there. So there was no trying to push in or trying to, it was just attuning and meeting my body. Yeah. And as soon as that happened, I just felt myself just start to soften and warmth and my body relaxed. It was just relaxing. It wasn't shaking. It wasn't tremoring. It was just yeah. melting, for want of a better word. And then at that time, 
so I had this experience of all I can say is have this experience of feeling the ground beneath my feet or the ground inside me. So at that time, I'd been involved in a men's, um, the, the Menergy men's gathering on a committee. Um, and our theme that year was into the deep. And so we'd had this analogy that we kept talking about in scuba diving. It's like, you know, when you dive down really deep, you have to decompress on the way back up. You know, like you have to stop at five metres and, and let the oxygen all reorganise. So there was this very strong sort of narrative or story of this sense of when we dive into the deep, like scuba diving, we have to really take our time to come back out and it's dangerous. And do you know what? If you dive into the deep and don't come back up, you're going to die. Like that's the scuba sort of water. And so my whole life had this feeling of going, if I stood on the edge of the or top of the water, out of the water, on the edge of the ocean, and if the ocean's my body, let's just use it that. If I stayed in my head and I stayed out of my body and I live like that, I could avoid the ocean. I could avoid all the turbulence and all the waves and getting thrashed around. And so I could stay, you know, we could stay out of our body, just disconnected, this dorsal vagal disconnected state. So we live in our heads. My body's carrying, building the bird until it can't keep going. You know, so like you, it was like mm. got to a point of going, I can't keep living like this. I can't do the things that used to make me happy because they don't make me happy and I physically can't do them anymore. My body's breaking down. So then there's a lot of experiences of, okay, let's dive into the body. This is where we're going. But when we dive into the depths, there's currents and it's bloody murky and you get sometimes it's a beautiful, blissful floating day, but other days you're getting smashed against the rocks. Oh, and, and so you've got to get back out. You've got to come back out of the body and you too much TRE, too much into my body, let's jump back out, calm down, regulate, take control, into all those sort of things. And in that mode, so that was the analogies. Like, you know, we go into the body, but it, it can be too much and too far, jump back out, you know, come back out of the body. And when I was lying on that floor, I had the image of being just surrendering and it was like a visual, you know, a visual image came to mind. And it was like I was drifting further and further down into the bottom and getting mm. darker there's less light there it's murkier it's dang you know it's dangerous and then all of a sudden pop my feet have landed on the bottom of the ocean and in that moment i was like oh my god this is really calm and solid down here yes further in my body deeper into my body there was actually a place that i could connect with now i'd had the experience of going i can trust my body deeper into my body because there's this solidity underneath all that turbulence. And then the analogy started to change for me. Again, this is just making an analogy and making sense. Of instead of being someone living on the surface going, I dive into my body, then I have to get back out because it's overwhelming. In those moments, I had this experience of going, wow, I'm on the bottom of the ocean, safe, calm, safe, calm, you know, relaxed. And then every so often I jump upwards into the water and get thrashed around yes. in my body, knowing that when I fully surrender to it, I sink back down and there's some earth underneath me as well. Yes. So again, it was just, for me, that was a, a profound shift. You know, I've got a painting that I did of it. I've got a, a poem, music about it, because in that moment, that was the moment for me where consciously I had this connection to go, wow, deeper inside my body, you know, body trust, existential trust. If I go yes. far enough in and I let myself connect in there, it's all okay. Yeah. And that was a little glimpse. Now, I don't live like that all the time. Don't, you know, I will go on no. because once you get that glimpse, then we have to go back to the reality of making that real, not just in my mind, knowing that I, everything's going to be okay, but in my physiology and my body. 
So that's what, when you share that story, there's that moment of recognising, and this is what, you know, it's, it's like I've never had that term for that. I talk about, you know, finding the ground, earth beneath my feet or the safety within me. David Baselli used to say, you know, trauma's in the body, yeah, but so safety further underneath it. Yes. Our organism knows it's safe if we, right here, in the, unless we're under attack. But so when you said that term, you know, ex, existential trust. Yes. For me, that's like a beautiful, you know, concept or thing of going somewhere at the core of my being, there's a connection to this sense of trust. And it doesn't mean that doesn't mean I'm not going to die. Doesn't mean that things aren't going to hurt. Doesn't mean that I'm not go through the, you know, the night and day and the light and dark of all that sort of stuff. But somewhere inside my organism mm. knows that to be true. Not just mm. I know it conceptually, it's it feels in it. So when the Shit hits the fan and the stuff comes up and my mind and my ego is going, this is bullshit, I hate this, I'm in the wrong place, this shouldn't be happening. And sure, we still need to make decisions in life, but there's a, a deeper part of me that is just always there going, it's yeah. okay, it's okay, calm, it's all right, it's all right, I know you don't like it, I know you don't understand it, it's all moving in the right direction. And then you get through that next wave, you settle down, you go, oh, I hated that, I wish that never had to happen, but you know what? I feel a bit more calm, a bit more relaxed, a bit more grounded, a bit more open, a bit more real, a bit more present, a bit more creative, a bit more alive, a bit more supportive, a bit more compassionate, a little bit more empathic. And then, of course, the next thing happens, I'm like, oh, my God, who was I kidding, thinking that I was actually calm, relaxed and grounded because my next trigger in my physiology gets touched, the next button that's held in the body. Mm. But the And this comes back to your, the original thing we were talking about is when we get that sense of the direction, it's like that the river's yeah. flowing us in, you go, this is taking us in the right direction. It just makes it that little bit easier to surrender and float a little bit more, trying to push the river or swim against the river or change the direction of the current. 100%. 100%. Because from that, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't long afterwards that we started to have, you know, that was early 2020, we started going to COVID times. And... You know, there's, that in and of itself has been a, a journey. And I think one of the things that I have found is that, um, you know, we use, some people refer to depression as the black dog, right? And the way I see it now is most people will lock the door as tight as they can from the black dog. And all that's going to happen is the black dog is going to fuck off, get all his mates, <laughs> Come and try and smash that door down. And if you try and fortify it more, you're going to get more mates, right? And so now it's a matter of the door's always open. The door is always open for the black dog to come. And he comes, he spends some time, and I learn something from it, and there's a reason. And then I leave. And then, he, sorry, he leaves. And in that time, you know, you know, I think, I think most people, if, if we're really honest, um, have had suicidal thoughts, right? It's, and, and that in and of itself can be very, very scary because all of a sudden there's this oh, that goes through here. Yeah. Mine involves, mine involves, and I'll be, I'll be clear as day, mine involves taking the surf straps out of the back of my high lugs and hanging myself on a tree, right? And there's been moments when, it, when the crucible of life has got to that point that they're the doors that have been decided upon. And that's happened, you know, in the last 12, 18 months as well. And the thing is, though, now is because I have this existential trust, 
that this is a passing thing, um, that I can feel anxious, that I can be depressed at times, that I can have fleeting suicidal thoughts, um, that it will be all right because I'm here. Now, as you said, that doesn't it doesn't give me carte blanche to escape the universal truths of the fact that bad things could happen to me. One day I will die. The sun goes down at the end of the day. They're truths. They're the truths of nature. And, and try as much as you like. You won't escape those. However, there's all the other stuff and that we encounter. And, you know, sometimes we do have these responses to that. And I just find today a lot of our response to mental and emotional health challenges is, is more what I refer to as being neurotic and neurotic meaning that, you know, we all suffer. Um, but to avoid all suffering at all cost, that is where neurosis comes from. That's where we get the word neurotic. Mm. And, you know, I used to think of resilience being this shield that I would have, which means I could take as many barbs and arrows and I was, I was still fucking hard enough. Um, but now it's, resilience is is that existential trust and interestingly on an on a subsequent um check-in with um fran um a year later so that was the second check-in i'm actually doing another one soon um we started to talk about the fact that um uh, being more watery and a lot of my um tremoring was now lying on the side and my back doing this um and that um and, and i sort of resonated with that because it's not that i have no form but underneath it or in oh, it's not underneath it it's it's throughout it all more fluid more fluid yeah it's more fluid, but it's throughout me there is greater existential trust existential load and as a result of that and being able to see deeper into my own mental and emotional health responses, I can now see that um, most of them are appropriate. Most of them are 100% appropriate to the world that we live in, that, have, um, that don't necessarily have life as a central organizing principle in the way that we do things as a society. And so like a canary bird in the mine shaft, I'm going to feel depressed. I'm going to feel anxious. I'm going to feel like life's not worth much at times because life, you know, the way the machine or whatever you want to call it, you know, particularly of economies and things like that, you're seen as a resource. And so if you feel that your life's worthless, it's because the machine treats you as a worthless life, as a bank account, as a number or something like that. And that's okay. That's being alive. That is actually being alive and that is experiencing things into its fullest. And the more that I can start to do that, the deeper I can see into the outside world, the deeper I see into myself. And I just see this like infinity sign on its side doing this, getting deeper and deeper. And, and so now I can begin to handle and hold the contradiction, paradox and complexity of the world, uh, which again, doesn't make life, doesn't make living life that easier because now what I find is is that now I'm operating we've gone from quite a gross level um you know and if I track my 
track my tremor and my actual physical tremors as they manifest themselves. They went from being very gross level, massive movements to subtle movements to now very watery, but still, you know, and, and that doesn't mean to say that I don't still have gross movements and I don't still have subtle movements. I still do. I still do. And I will do because I am interacting with the world at the same time. But now there's a presence of some very fine stuff. And so the problem I found for a period of time, and that's half the reason why I want to have this conversation, is sometimes if I talk from that level, the best analogy I can say is sometimes I find myself talking French to a, to a Chinese person. Um, the difference is, is that we're both actually using English, but I'm coming from one place. And it, that in itself became essentially challenging for a period of time until I suddenly had to say to myself, well, you need to acknowledge what you've done and where you're at. You know, nobody wants to put tickets on themselves and go, oh, now look at fucking Brent. Isn't he amazing for all this three years of tremor work he's done? Um, but it just is what it is. And so this is kind of where I operate from. Um, but I have to recognise that I also have to operate from those previous levels as well, because, you know, I, I'm not going to tremor circles on the beach every morning and talking about tremoring in coffee shops with everybody because it's not that widespread yet. Or this, this awareness of uh, the role of our nervous system in how we do stuff. And so, yeah, particularly as we now find ourselves in, in you know, the last two years has been uncertain, has been traumatic, um, has been a whole existentially challenging, you know, all the, all, all the things like the external anchor points that we um, construct our identity of ourselves, which is again, a key part of our existential strength and the load that we can carry helps us. Um, many of the external anchor points that we, you know, more onto have all been moved over the last two years. And so all of a sudden, you know, if you've not actually spent time being aware of your roots in yourself, then when the anchor points from the outside world have moved, all of a sudden you're watching the trees flapping around in the wind and the tide, you know, I'm pulling a lot of nature me metaphors all over the place. The tide's going out, the tide has gone out, and, and it's like, right, well, where, where are you all at? And, you know, it's, and so I find myself in these places where it's, it's not that I'm concerned, not that I'm not concerned about where the world's going and some of the political decisions that have been made and, and, and the drivers that are made behind them. And, you know, um, you know, I still have a reaction to that, but then I move through that reaction and then I see it within its pattern and, and what have you, you know, I mean, here in Western Australia, yeah, I'll be pretty uh, transparent, you know, in November when the, the Premier pulled out the vaccine mandate, I went into three weeks of existential dismay with the world. I was like, how the and there were several other things that had gone on which were lesser for me in my experience of where people hadn't paid attention to actually what was going on and then all of a sudden kapow something happens and everybody's getting sucked into the drama of this without realizing the journey that we've been through in time to get to this place so all of a sudden everybody's just dealing with this reality because they're in this reality and it's 
you know, it's a drama, so we can deal with the drama. And the drama, drama is a really good way to avoid what's actually going on. And and so I was suffering from this huge existential dismay where I'm looking at it going, so hang on a minute, we're, we're mandating vaccines in the workplace. So that means we're just trying to keep the economy going versus actual health imperatives. You know, and I might be being conspiratorial or cynical or something, but that was what was coming out. And then, and I just got, and the fact that nobody else could see or even go there meant that um, I, I felt quite alone. And the fact that we were driven into this, you're either pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, and there was no discussion point in the middle, that was driving me fucking mental as well. We couldn't have a nuanced discussion about, well, I'm a bit hesitant about this, or, you know, it was all just smashing in. And so I had to go and consult a, a good friend, Sean Nano, um, just to create some space for me to get into this. And what we realised was there was trauma in there about being told what to do. And there was trauma around the concept of my own death. Because um, what was I worried about here? Um, that I might have inject something that was going to you know, physically harm me, end my life, da 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 So when you drill that down, that's all to do with my own death. And um, there was being told what to do. Everyone's got like... It's a big sweeping statement, but I back it up. Nearly everybody's got trauma about being told what to do. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the third thing in there was just gracefully accepting my place in the whole pattern of life. That, you know, I am one person. I am in among, I am one person, but I am also in amongst hundreds and thousands and millions of others who happen to be here in this place at this time as we move through our, you know, conscious and cultural evolution. And I have to accept where we are as a, as a mass as well. And after that, all of this existential dismay just sort of left me. And, and, I, and I was able to move with more ease and grace in life. You know, what, what, do you, what do you call that? Is that existential acceptance? What's the next word there? I think uh, prob probably, yeah. Yeah, it, it's understanding where I, you know, that I fit. It's not overstating my place in the past. Where you exist, how you, how, where and how. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's a lot around my, you know, my nature, place and purpose in life. Um, and so that, that was hugely beneficial. But again, throughout all of that period, you know, where I'm, I am, seriously just like I didn't want I didn't want to check out of life there was there was no suicidal thoughts during that point but I wanted to check out of yeah life this I wanted to go somewhere else and this and the other but then you have to come back to the you know what the traumatic realization is that you can't yeah because we're all in this together and no man is an island and and, and you know and throughout all of that Obviously, I was on the tools, I was on the tremoring, and I was going through it. And all of that time, you know, it's interesting, you know, I was back into some gross movements that then became subtle, that then became very yeah. subtle. And um, yeah, it was a fascinating time. So it's, it's, you know, it's wonderful to hear the journey, journey you're on. And what's just come to me, you know, just listening to you and um, you know, you've got this green plant, pot plant inside behind you. 
um, you know, if people are on the podcast audio, they won't see that, but, you know, there's a beautiful indoor plant there behind you is. So when you, when we, you know, when you look at a plant, you can tell whether the plant, you know, if a plant's thriving and it's really alive, you know, it's, it look, you can see it looks healthy, it looks well, it's growing, it's doing that. When a plant's shriveling or, you know, it's not nourished and you can see it's wilting or it's, it's really obvious, isn't it? I mean, everyone, everyone knows that. And for me, Bryn, you know, reflecting on listening to your talk and sharing your experience over that time, it's like, and having seen this in my own personal life, but having also watched this and observed this in, you know, countless thousands of other people who keep using this, and this is not me, but other people all around the world, you know, it's like when I'm listening to you and looking at you today, I just go, okay, let's sum up what's happened in the last few years. I go, you're more alive. Yes. I mean, that's, that's at the end of it. People say, well, what does, what does tremoring help you do? I say, well, it helps you come more alive. Now, you've got all those struggles and all those things, but if we look at a plant, we go, look, the plant's a bit healthier, it's a bit more alive, it's a bit more. So, you know, that's what I, that's what I see and hear, but it's, you know, it's just really obvious. Like, it's just, mm. you're more alive, there's more life. Yeah. Um, but, and as you even say, when I'm anxious, even when I'm depressed, even when right. I'm suffering existential more, dismay. Yep, it's not getting out of it. And, you know, as I say, the, it's like the magic's in the moment and this mystical, you know, the mystery, of, it's just complete unknown. We've got no idea what we're, we're floating around in bloody space, apparently. It, like, it's, it's just a, it is so much, so much mystery. Um, and, you know, it's not just tremoring. You're doing lots of other things and endless other stuff. But, you know, as you say, this is, this is like one of your golden arrows in your, in your quill, which, again, totally, you know, I relate. And, again, you know, that plant behind you, it's got an innate impulse to make itself as alive as possible. And mm. it's the same with us and our human organism. And, you know, in a way we call it tremoring, but really we're just doing, let's just call it life force, we're finding yes. a way, you know, people might call it Kundalini, people might call it the Holy Spirit, people, all different things in different cultures, but there's something inside us which is wanting to, you know, be alive and come alive as freely as we can. And that's, you know, that's kind of what, that's what tremoring does and it, it helps us go into the, the full catastrophe of life. Mm. Um, you know, I know for me recently, one thing that's really been hitting home and it's kind of that existential acceptance in that way is going, you know, I'm really aware of my early life experiences, my early, you know, traumatic experiences, so more social trauma, not, you know, things, but just, and my, you know, my genetic inheritance, my parenting inheritance, all those things of having an effect and going, you know what, gee, I feel a bit sad that I'm not more empathic or compassionate, or I feel a bit sad that I'm not more social or accurate or helpful or insightful or effective in my treatment you know but what was different was this just kind of there was an acceptance um you know a few people have been talking about this so it's again we often come to terry going oh my god i'm going to become enlightened and then i'll be happy and i'm like you're like you know a leopard doesn't necessarily change its spots you know there's it's not like we often come to terry going i'm going to get rid of all my childhood trauma and then i'll be okay <laughs> versus I can be okay now and I'm on this journey and by, you know, following it and using the experiences of life, we start to become more alive. And that, that for me is what I see, you know, it's, it's wonderful and exciting. You've got this deep sense of connecting with a sense of existential, existential safety or trust you call, you know, using it. Hmm. But at the same time, well, 
great. Let's all just sit around on the couch and say, oh, I'm trusting. It's a bit life's boring. There's a sense of a lot, you know, this existential life or aliveness or, you know, the movement. And it's not something we have to do. It's not something we have to kind of make happen, although we're still involved in it and we make choices and we do that. But there's just, Mm. it's like in the current of life and, and naturally through that process, you know, you're more alive. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's, ma- it's magic. Remarkably, more a you know a conduit for life. Yeah. You know, and I see, I see my place in life, the pattern of life, clearer now, rather than just being some you know little island lost all by itself. And um, yeah, I mean, one of the you mentioned enlightenment, and I warned you there was a question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is this came to me the other day? Is is enlightenment a function of the nervous system? <laughs> well, the answer, of course, is yes. Yeah. A, a function is it correlated with a with an embodied state of yes? Or, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So one, you know, often you know. Or hang on, can I re-answer that? Probably. Oh. Probably, yeah. Because I don't know. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself enlightened. So when I'm enlightened, I'll let you know and I'll say, this is how my nervous system is. And then I'll be able to give you a, a, an accurate answer. Well, all right. When you get the badge. Um, yeah, because, you know, t- traditionally, like my schema of the knowledge of the word enlightenment would come from, you know, Buddhism, which then, you know, I have pictures of the Buddha sitting under the tree for X amount of days and then gaining enlightenment, this, that, and the other. And so one of the most interesting things, and, and I'll, I'll put a link to it in this, um, uh, with this podcast, is, is you talked in a video about um, high anxiety functioning and high functioning anxiety yeah high functioning anxiety in the three stages where the first one is very much you're you're in the environment you're doing this stuff but you're you're disconnected to your body and then that almost swaps to that place of you're so in your body you can't handle the environment you know and i was explaining that earlier on with my micro traumas and wanting to sit on the mountain and be a part and i think it's that bit at that point that um i think we get dragged into that's where enlightenment will come um you know and and you know that might not be a widespread understanding for everybody else but that certainly was for me that you know the only way i was going to get enlightenment was if i you know fuck my job off and go and live on a mountain for six months or six years or something and and just sit there and go on you know and and do the thing and and now i understand in the journey of how been so far out in the world then you have to go so far in into your body and then just to bring a bit of that yin and yang back to one another so that i'm in this place now where i actually find certain um well I, i find life more interesting even when there are ups and when there are downs and we've got that you know that on its side, infinity side of going out into the world and coming back into me and out into the world. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean to say that, you know, sometimes I get out of kilter still, you know, um, and that sometimes I can be focused on the outside world. And sometimes I need to go back in here for a while and I enjoy a bit of just fucking the outside world off and stuff like that. I'm probably a little bit more sensitive to when that needs to occur. And I'll go and nourish that part. Um, but 
Um, yeah, so I think that's why I wanted to ask about is, you know, it's a pretty blunt question, you know, is, is enlightenment a function of the nervous system? But, you know, if I track my journey, and it was interesting because as I was starting to come out and see more complexity in the world and stuff, and, you know, 2020, 2021, I, um, I, you know, I'd created enough space for me to go into, I'm not going to go too far into it now, but, you know, go into my own experience of boarding school and, and codependency. And, you know, if anybody looks at the podcast I did, particularly in 2020, they were flat out me there wasn't just a hypothetical discussion you know you go and look at that boarding school one you know it's all my experience it's all me and it's as transparent as you get uh, yet I was fine to do it and go there because now I felt I uh, I had the existential you know trust and strength to be able to go into these deeper darker places of shit that had occurred and, and release that and let it go and you know that boarding school podcast to this day still is highly watched and i keep getting messages all the time about that but um so i guess for me enlightenment is not being the bodhisattva on a on a tree sitting you know under a tree or on a mountain or something like that it's actually being here in 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 the grind and dirt of being alive yeah, so one of the so what I'd like to share with you a word that I prefer to enlightenment. I mean, not to discount enlightenment and that end destination and that sort of you know where we all want to be, is the word I I prefer is enlightened darkenment, which is what basically it's enlightened darkenment. Enlightened darkenment. So it's you know I remember someone telling me this <laughs> years ago to explain, and it, it, that came out of when I was had this Vipassana and my body moving experience of just this sense of going, you know what, here I am. I'm part light. I'm, you know, part of me's healed, part of me's not healed. So someone said to me this once, I can't remember, they said, you know, what does the word guru mean? And if you ask a Westerner often, we'll say, well, a guru is, you know, the Indian guru. It's like someone you follow, a teacher, all of those sort of things. And then I used to always like to say to people, well, okay, what if I told you that the words goo and ru the word guru is made up of two Sanskrit words, gu and ru, for light and dark. Huh. And the, the answer that people often say is, oh, well, the guru, what it means is it's someone who takes you from the dark to the light. And then I always like to make a joke. I say, no, no, that's not a guru. That's a from guru. <laughs> so the guru, that concept is the idea of the light and dark at the same time. Put it in, let's just say enlightened darkament, which means Part of me is wonderful and loving and kind and blissful and part of me is, you know, broken and hurtful and mean. And, and yeah. so, again, not to discount the, the destination, but for me it gives me, and this is part of what trauma has got to me, is that sense of, you know, we're calling it existential acceptance or I'm saying enlightened darkenment or in a guru state there's that sense of, you know what, it's like the scales of life. Part of me is this and part of me is that and I'm heading more in the direction of more light and less dark and, all of that, but right here, right now, in order to start moving in that direction, I need to be able to be embodied in both of those things. Yes. Whereas most of us try and hide the shadow from ourselves, you know, hide the darkness, yes. behave a certain way. Um, you know, I always remember as a child, I was brought up in a, my family was Catholic 
And it was all about, you know, love Jesus, love this, love one another, love, love. And I remember saying to my mum so, so one time, I said, but mum, what do I do if I don't love people? What do I do if I actually hate someone? Yeah. yeah. Well, you just, you don't, you just love them. It's like telling someone to not be scared or not be angry. It just, it never made sense. So anyway, so for me, there's that thing. When I hear people talk about enlightenment, for me, I always kind of go, well, you know what? What if we all started aiming for enlightened darkenment, which was to come into the present moment here and be able to sit here like, you know, the scales of life, you yeah. know, that reflects us without judging it and saying, oh, I'm a terrible person, I'm a good person. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a product of my history, my parents, my environment, my everything. You know, I'm a product of that. I've got some good and bad. And I'm, and this is the thing for me, that direction that the tremoring or, again, it's not even the tremoring, the direction that my body, when I let it have its way with me for, when I let it, be free to move and express the direction it's moving me towards is into you know more light and less dark to put it in those again that's a very conceptual western mm-hmm. lights better than the dark whereas it could be the other way around but so it's having that sense of right well but here i am and you know what if we could all choose enlightenment we would but we can't or it seems at this point we can't because otherwise we'd all do it so yeah. we don't have an opportunity apart from to be where we are in the reality of our physiology. And when we see that our physiology is supporting that growth and that movement towards becoming more alive or more compassionate or more grounded or more mature and loving, then it's just a no-brainer to say, mm-hmm. great, let's keep letting the body have that time and that space to, and this is what, you know, it does come back to your question about is alignment in the nervous system is for me, because what, what I what I experience myself when I talk about you being more alive, what we're hearing is more maturity. Mm. But it's not just maturity in our behaviour. It's maturity in our nervous system or in our physiology. It's less reactive. It's or it's less, It could be more reactive, but it's coming more out of defence. You know, it's more grounded. It's got more capacity to stay calm and relaxed or be grounded or see the mystery of both sides rather than getting into fight and flight and you versus me. So there's a physiological maturity, and that for me is one of the magic things of using this tremor mechanism because in utero, our body, we're not there. We're not thinking about it. It's got nothing to do with our cognition. Our nervous system is growing itself and getting itself to be more mature and more organised, and when we allow that process to continue outside the womb, the same thing happens. Our, our nervous system is growing. Again, this is, it's a shitty word to use. It's a very limited word. It's more than at our mm. organism, but let's just use nervous system because that's what we all talk about. Mate. It's becoming more mature and it's yeah. biological or neurophysiological maturity, which then makes it capable for us to have more mature thinking and to have more mature behaviour and have more mature, more mature relationships or, you know, and to be more deal with unknown. To deal with the mystery. Deal with unknown. Open up to possibility and probability. And, you know, I'm I'm quite triggered at the moment or resonate around this concept of um, back to normal um, safety risk and and maintaining stable systems. Um, You know, the economy is, that's what it seeks to do. Manage risk to say the same. Yeah, you know, make things safe for people and stuff like that. But in doing that, you're not, you know, you're constraining growth of life. And, you know, by by doing, by pursuing, you know, 
tremoring and other things and, and paying attention to a nervous system and how it responds as well as the backlog of stuff that I may not have paid attention to and, and things like that means that I can be, you know, existentially all right when I have to sit down and contemplate what else there could be or better ways of doing things. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, you, you talk about, you know, you can, we can talk about, you know, does the capitalist system work for us, you know, and, and often my response to that is why do you want to be a communist instead? And it's like, <laughs> there can be something else. <laughs> we just need to think about that. And, and open up the possibility and probability for that to emerge. Now, that might mean we have to give up a lot of stuff that we've got now, okay? Which might mean that I might be sad because I'm going to have to give some shit up and ways of life, but then it might take us to somewhere else. So, you know, with every with every um, you know, new great thing that comes into my life, there's going to be a, a sense of loss. And with a sense of loss, you're going to have a sense of despair and unhappiness and sadness, even if it's fleeting or it could be for a period of time. And it's okay to feel despair and dismay and, and, and these things with the world because that means that you are in sync with it and it's you're alive. And so you are a conduit for life. So this has been quite a conversation. It's been Fucking awesome, hasn't it? Yeah, well, what are we about seven hours? How long have we gone? No, I an hour and a half or something. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing I wanted to cover was there is still a sense of, um, you probably won't want to talk to this. There's still a sense of, I can't escape it, um, a sense of sadness that um, more don't pick up a very simple tool or, or other tools or just, but that force them to pay attention to the role of something that's going on physiologically in yeah. their body. Um, because, you know, I, I, I obviously anybody who's hung on in this discussion to this point in time will see what it's done for one individual and, and, and yourself. Um, but then you just like multiply that by 100,000, 10,000, 100,000, and then you start going, wow this could be fucking awesome so there's there's still a sense of sadness that i may be in the pattern of time at this point in time where that's not there and i hope i'm still about when there's more of that about um so you know i'm sort of grateful and sad in equal measures and i'm all right with that i'm all right with that yeah oh totally it's like here we are um you know i relate to that and Again, I just through experience, you know, I see that, you know, like watching an individual human body or organism tremor and move and, and shake itself towards vitality and aliveness and let go of stuff and the patterns and how I see that happening on that microcosm scale are exactly the same as how I see it on a global scale. If you just look at the, you know, the earth as an organism and, and you see it spreading so when we lie down and surrender and we allow our body to lead us, you know what? This part of the body moves, this other part doesn't. We'd all love our, again, we'd love to all be physiologically enlightened so everything movement is just pure orgasmic bliss. But you know what? The body is just going to do it in its own way in its own time. Now, we can help it. We can use positions or stop and start or take a break or go and see a facilitator. So we can support that process. But at the end of the day, you know, we and we can force 
parts of the body to tremor. But it generally doesn't work and it doesn't hold or it goes back to where it was anyway and it creates the whole shitstorm. So I suppose what I'm saying, is, and it is, it's a hard, you know, for me, mine's more not sadness. My pattern tends to be frustration and just pent up energy of like, just yeah. like everyone would just fucking get this. <laughs> you know, learn it, fucking just do it, experience it, see, you know, get it. And people get it. Like, it's the thing, you know, people, you'll see that moment where they go, I get it. I can't understand it, but I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's doing something. It's moving me in the right direction. So I suppose, yeah, again, I, I, I totally relate to that is as I, as my nervous system is getting a bit more relaxed and a bit more grounded, I have less of that pent up frustration of wanting to grab everyone and you know shake the the especially like the medical community in the western world just to to make it happen and i'm surrendering in my older age and a bit more you know of going i'm still doing as much as i possibly can but in the same way when we're working with the body it's not my job to try and make the tremor where it go where i think it needs to go i'm here to kind of be in service and support of it and help it as much as possible and so, again, in the same way that I see, you know, as we keep allowing the body to move, it organically moves itself towards wholeness or whatever you want to say, yeah. you know, I find it easier and easier to go, you know what, it's okay. Um, it's okay where we're at. It's heading in the right direction. It's not up to me. And inadvertently, it actually makes me more effective and efficient because I'm not, I'm not in my fight mode of going, I've got to change where how things are. Yes. There's, yeah. a, there's that natural surrender and, and same as facilitating TRE. And, you know, David Baselli always talks about, you know, when he was, when he works with people, he's amazing because he's worked with, I don't know, it might be 30,000 people or more tremoring in, in like hands on one. It's just incredible. You know, he says, look, I just try and let my organism respond to their organism, not my mind or my ego. And so the more, you know, we get out of the way and we just allow our nervous systems or bodies to, to resonate in support, the more effective we are. So it's the same thing with, you know, feeling that sadness and being human and allowing that to move and it creates the movement of tears and breath and a bit more depth. And then in the next moment, we're ready to, you know, take the next opportunity and, and, and keep moving forward. So, you know, I have a deep sense in me of um, no matter what I can sort of help facilitate or open up or spread or share that eventually when I die, I'll go, I'm irrelevant really. And I'm almost irrelevant in the whole process. It's going to keep going. It's going to spread. And I'd love to, you know, I'd love to take that again. It's like a very traditional native American practice, you know, look seven generations forwards is to, you know, I'd love to be able to look in a hundred years after I've died, how's it all going to look? I go, I've got no idea, but I know it's not going to stop. It's not going to, yes. you know, life is going to keep going. It's going to keep growing and evolving. So, um, you know, even just being able to be comfortable with that starts to go, right, well, here we are. We're on the, we're on the bloody roller coaster. Let's try and enjoy it instead of, you know, let's try enjoy it and embrace it and support it and make it, make it a vital life experience rather than oh, I've got to make it happen and, but, you know, I get you, it is, it's, it's because once you experience it, like you, you know, the value yes. for you now, maybe other people, it's not going to work. I don't know, but you know, when people get interested, you see enough people to go when they get it and they keep doing it, they go on this journey. It can be a rocky road, but it can be, you know, you use the well weather analogy, there's storms, but there's also beautiful, blissful days. There's, you know, mm -hmm. perfect waves and stillness. There's all of those things happen. 
So, you know, that's part of what's motivating us to be sitting here, you know, sharing this conversation is hopefully through just our presence and sharing of our journey and our experience of other people's journey that, that people whose bodies and organisms and spirits are ready to embrace it, you know, just get to take that next step and, um, you know, dive into it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, here in Western Australia, we've now got a political precedence of mandating things that are good for you. Um, <laughs> who knows? Um, Richmond has been awesome. Thank you very much for uh, helping me navigate this because um, as hopefully anyone who's hung in this long will realise it's it is subtle, it is nuanced, it is different, different and difficult. Hopefully anybody that's, like I said at the start, anybody who's not encountered tremoring um, would now get an idea of it's not just turning up at a course, but it's a bigger journey. And anybody who's in their tremor journey, who's trying to make sense of it, hopefully there's things in my journey that help them to you know, put their arms around what's actually happening for them and, and give them an idea. Um, probably to like legitimize and val val validify um, what's actually happening for them. Because that's one of the difficult things. Is, is this really happening? Is this like, because I'm tinkering with the operating system, am I, is this really what's happening? So yeah, I think with the, with the, with the notes for this, I'll put a, I'll put the link to the, the high anxiety functioning video and i'll also put a link to your introductory course because yeah, yeah so yeah and um yeah is there anything else you want to add <laughs> oh no i just think think you're doing great i'm doing great we're doing great we've got a long way to go so just keep going you know like, i think it's great and um yeah hopefully if people feel inspired then you know to to get it give it a go and if you're having any difficulty go and see someone who can help you make it work for yourself. Cause you know, one of the, probably the, you know, the key thing, one of the key things for me is, you know, TRE is like a pathway to the thing. TRE is not the thing. The thing is that yeah. our organism has this impulse for life and we can work out how to help support it and use it. So if you're, it's not a, it's not really a modality, you know, the effect of what's happening in TRE is not TRE or the technique, it's your organism and your body doing it. So it's an innate process in mammals and, and in humans. So mm -hmm. if you're having trouble with it, it's not because the technique's wrong or bad, you know, or it's something wrong or it doesn't work. This isn't something that's been made up out of the blue. This has evolved in us all for, you know, millions of years. So if you're struggling with it, just find a Terry provider or, you know, who can help you yeah. and, and, and help you make it work for you. Um, that's probably the, probably the most. Yeah. And check back in with that provider. Mm. That's, that's one of the key things for me going back and seeing Fran and talking about it and and her watching me and yeah and suggesting new things every every time you get your car serviced yeah yeah that's a good point might, be a, might be a nice own. reminder yeah yeah just to go and get another set of nervous system all the same time pull a sticker <laughs> yeah that's it underneath the one you know six kilometers six what is it you know Six months yeah. or twelve thousand kilometers. Go and see me. Go and go and do a session. Now it might not be Terry. It could be someone else. But um, yeah. you know, we certainly don't tend to look after our, our bodies and ourselves as well as we look after our cars. Indeed, Richmond. Thank right. you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. Cheers.